Anyway, I got some things I want to share with you. And if you will, take and open up your Bible to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. There's a word that's used quite a few times in the book of uh, Hebrews, and a lot of times it causes some people a little problem. But if somebody asks you to take part in a wedding, then you are a partaker. You're taking part in a wedding. That's what the word partake means. You're taking part. And so the, the words in the scriptures is used uh, quite often, and several places it seems like it's um, a little hard to understand. But just knowing what the word means, it means to take part, to share, to have something in common. Then you'll help you to understand some of the scriptures that uh, God has given to us. So look there in the book of Hebrews in chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and look in verse 14. And it kind of starts and it builds uh, from this verse. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. In other words, God says we live in this old sinful body of flesh and blood. And because of sin, we're going to die. And so we live under the umbrella of death. Yea, though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, this is why the Bible says Christ came into the world that he may taste death for every man. And taking death away from us in the sense that he took fear away from us. You see up there in verse 9 where he says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death. Angels don't die. So for Christ to pay for our sins, he didn't become an angel. He became a man. Took upon flesh. He took part of the same body like we have, except he did not have a sinful nature. And so therefore, because of what we had taken part of, he took part of he took upon himself a body, and that's why he says later on in chapter 10 about a body hast thou prepared me. So he took part of what we were going through and living in. And so as you go through these scriptures, it will help you to understand a little bit more when we get a couple hard places to understand. Uh, take your Bible look in Philippians chapter 1. But Philippians in chapter 1, look in verse 7. Verse 7. He says, Even as it is meet or fit for me to think this of you, you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds, and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. In other words, God saved Paul by grace, and God sent him to serve by grace, and he lived by grace. And because of what God bestowed upon him, his mercy and love and forgiveness and compassion, Paul extended that grace to others through him in presenting the gospel. So there was other people that were blessed because of Paul. Now, that's what we would like to say is there's other people who have been partakers of our grace. They have received what we have offered, and they are believers. So he says this is for the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. 
You see, one thing is you can't defend the gospel without giving it away. And that's the only way you can keep the faith is by giving it away. Because the faith that we have isn't something that we keep to ourselves. The faith is something that we give to others and we share it with others so that they can take part of that faith that we have and take part of the grace that we have. They are partakers. Now, take your Bible, look in Colossians. The book of Colossians, just right there where you are, Colossians in chapter 1. And look there in verse 12. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12. Where it says, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet or fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. In other words, when God saved you, when God saved me, he made us fit to take part of the inheritance that he has to the saints in light. And that he has translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So when he talks about we are partakers, it means that we're part of what he is. We're part of what he has. We have inherited this because of who we are. So therefore, by being a child of God, we can take part in all these things that he has. I'm going to take part in the judgment seat of Christ. I have a part there to play. I'm not sure what it's going to be. But I'm going to take part. When the rapture takes place, if it takes place today, I'm going to take part in that. In other words, I'm going to be in it. I'm going to be part of it. When he comes to the kingdom upon the earth, I'm going to be part of this. So you and I have a lawful lot that was given to us just by the fact that you trusted Christ as your Savior. Now, look in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy in chapter 6. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, look in verse 2. Verse 2 says, And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren. But rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. Partakers of the benefit. Now, in the 103rd Psalm, it talks about we have benefits because of who we are. We have been blessed by God, forgiven by God, and He has bestowed His love and kindness and mercy upon us. So all of us share in this great salvation that God has for us. So when you read the book of Hebrews, it talks about this so great salvation. It means we are, we've been blessed to take part in something that's wonderful. But we didn't save ourselves. We simply accepted what Christ did for us. But by doing so, you took part in something. You see, when Christ died on the cross, it was like all of us together in him. We all died together because if I am crucified with Christ and you are crucified with Christ, then we were crucified together. And if he was buried with Christ, and I was buried with Christ, and you were buried with Christ, and we were all buried together. And if he came back from the dead, and I arose with him, and you did too, then we arose together. And if he ascended up on high, and we are all there, seated in the heavenlies together in Christ, then we are all partakers together. We share in a common experience. Though we didn't really do it, he did it for us, but he brought us together. Therefore, we have a commonality together in the family of God. So 
he makes this statement up here in verse 2 of chapter 6. He says, Let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. So every one of us have a ministry in ministering to God's people. We often talk about just reach the lost, reach the lost. But if we don't keep ministering to those that are saved, we're not going to have as many lost people saved. So if we want to get more lost people saved, keep God's children serving the Lord. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Teach them what you know. And God said if we do that, a lot of great things can happen. Now, go to Hebrews in chapter 3. The book of Hebrews in chapter 3. In Hebrews chapter 3, a very interesting statement is made here. Where it says in verse 1, Wherefore, holy brethren. Now, not all of God's children live a holy life. But the Bible says that He is holy, therefore be ye holy. So we are holy because we are in Christ. But now, because of what we are, God wants our lives to match it. Live like you are holy. You are a believer, you're a child of God, live like a child of God. So he says here, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. See, we're all in Christ because of what Christ did for all of us, and so we all take part in that. We're part of the salvation that he has performed. We're all the children of God. We all have been made pure and holy, sanctified, set apart. That's why when you get to Hebrews chapter 2, it consistently keeps saying that. You have been sanctified by one offering forever. And so he tells us what he's going to tell us in the first few chapters. And then he tells us, and then he tells us what he done told us. You'll find that mentioned throughout the scriptures quite a bit of times. But now it goes down through here and it talks about another place. And it seems like it's a little on the complicated side. Look down in verse 14. In verse 14, where he says, For we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end. Now, the question is, of course, is, well, what is the end? The end of, the end of what? The end of my life? Uh, am I saved if I endure to the end? But maybe it means something different. You know, you do see that it talks about in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, Therefore, laying aside every weight which does so easily beset us, and let us run the what? Well, maybe we're running a race. Run a race until the race is run. Finish your race. Finish the course. And looking unto Jesus, the author at the beginning, the finisher, the end. So we begin with Christ. We end with Christ. Run your race, keeping your eyes focused upon your goal. We're running unto the Savior. He is the prize that we're looking at. And we run toward him. And that's why he says, in the meantime, you have all these things that comes up. Now, all these pro obstacles. But he says, when you get ready to quit because it seems so rough, just remember. And it says, consider him. Consider him. And every one of us need to consider. Now, look up there in verse 1 again. Where you see that word mentioned. 
Consider the apostle and the high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. So even in the very beginning of the book, it's telling us, focus upon Christ. And keep your eyes upon him, because you want to go from something to something. Now, there's something else that's mentioned throughout this book. And it's talking about going from childhood to what? Maturity. Childhood to maturity. You see, there were people in the Old Testament, uh, they came across the Red Sea, and they were in the wilderness, but they never made it to the promised land because they were um, rebellious, disobedient. means they were unbelieving. And so they didn't get the promise that God had for them because of their rebellion. Now, in the family of God, what God wants for some, he wants for all of us, but not everybody is going to succeed because the sin that so easily beset us is the sin of unbelief. God's children not believing what their father says. And so because of unbelief, we won't get what we should have. We won't attain what God has for us. So when he says down here in verse 14, for we are made partakers, the word partaker here has more of a connotation of companion and is talking about we have something in common with our heavenly father with our savior because you're saved but now that you are in the family of God God wants there to be a walk with him so that we learn to talk with our father and listen to him and walk with him and share things in common it's called having a fellowship with the Lord some people call it having a relationship. I, I don't really like the word as much. I like, you know, I'm, I'm God's child and I want to be an obedient child. And so you don't work trying to have a relationship with the Lord, but I, I do believe you ought to have one. I have a relationship with the Lord and that he's my father and I'm his child and that never changes. But you see, your fellowship with the Lord doesn't always stay, you know, on par. So there's things he says. And hold this here truth that God's going to give us firm unto the end. Now, whenever you get to chapter 4, look in chapter 4 and verse 12. Now he's talking about something that will bring you from where you are to where you and I ought to be. And that is in verse 12, it's the Word of God. So whatever the Word of God is, is what it can make you and what it can make me. If the Word of God is quick, it means it's alive, it can make you alive. If it's powerful, it can make you powerful. If it's sharper than a two-edged sword, it can give you great discernment of anything in life. The body, soul, and the spirit. You can discern things that the normal person cannot understand. So there's truths that are given to us in the Word of God. And in the last part of verse 13, he says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So we're not talking about how to be saved. We're talking about God's children learning how to walk, learning how to grow, how to mature. And not all of God's children grow and mature at the same rate. So we're supposed to be patient with those who are now where we once were. Now, if you'll notice there in chapter 5, it makes the statement in verse 11, of whom we have many things to say, hard to be uttered or understood, seeing you're dull of hearing. You see, there's people who have trusted Christ as Savior. They are partakers of 
God's divine blessings, His salvation, the Holy Spirit, all that which happens to every child of God, we're, we're all in this together. And so God wants us to grow in the Lord, but some of God's children don't want to listen anymore. They become dull of hearing. So how do I know when I'm dull of hearing? Well, you don't have a desire or a taste for the Word of God. You don't even read it. Don't study it. Week and week and week that can go by, and you never read the Word. So when you don't and don't run it through your mind, well, what's going to happen is, is you're, going to be, you're going to lose your discernment. See, this is what keeps your mind sharp so that you can think clearly. So he says in verse 11, uh, seeing you're dull of hearing. For when for the time you ought to be teaching, it means you ought to be able to do something you're not able to do. You ought to be able to teach the word. You're not. So he says, I can't feed you with meat. I got to give you some milk. So meat and milk is not for the lost man. This is talking about to God's children. So if he's talking about God's children, then we know the context is about God's children going from childhood to maturity, going from milk to meat, being able to feed themselves. But we try to give the food in such a way that you can be able to digest it. And every once in a while, somebody gets a, you know, a gristle and they can't swallow. And there they are. They just, instead of spitting it out, they just soon die. And that's what most of them do. So he says in verse 12, but when you, for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again. Teach you again. Why? Because you didn't do anything the last time you were taught something. You got to learn it all over again. When you don't pass your test, you have to take it over. So all of life is going through test. And you're taking a lot of tests. And every trial and tribulation is just another test. Are you faithful? So he says here, in verse 13, for everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. He is a what? He is a babe. So then where does God want us to go? He wants us to go to maturity. Now look in chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, the things that you were taught, and some you seem like you've got to be taught again. He says, you don't have to get saved again. You're already saved but leaving those basic things, let's go on to maturity. As he says there, let us go on unto perfection, to mature in the Lord, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God. So how were you saved? Repentance, in this verse right here, shows you what it means. Repentance is not trusting in dead works, but faith in the Lord. So repentance is a change of mind about not trusting in your works for salvation, but only by your faith in what Christ did for you. So once you've been saved, you don't have to do that again. Isn't that good news? So if you haven't grown in the Lord or haven't matured in the Lord, you're still a child of God. And look what he says in verse 3, and this will we do. What will we do? We'll go on to maturity. If God permits, because you see, God is the one that knows whether you believe his word or not. You see, you're not growing in the Lord just because you can quote verses. Just because you can find things in the Bible is not a sign of maturity. Maturity is whenever you apply it to your life. It's not how many times you've been through the Bible. It's has the Bible been through you. So he says, we'll go on to maturity if God will permit. I mean, will God permit you to grow? How is he going to do that? Well, if you'll believe this truth, then you'll get another truth. And you get that truth and obey it, then God will give you another truth. So that's why he says, like in the book of Philippians in chapter 3, walk according to the light you have. 
If you took all the light that you had and just put it down, it becomes a path of righteousness. Just start doing all the right that you know to do. And when you start obeying what you already know to be right, God will give you more light, more truth. Now look what he says in verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, just like you have been once taught, but once enlightened, tasted of the heavenly gift. And some people say, well, that word tasted there doesn't mean that you really had to, you just tasted it. Well, I guess it'd be like over there in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death forever. He didn't really die. He just tasted it. No, he died. And so he died and paid for our sins. And then look at the next part. We're made partakers of the Holy Ghost. Now, God doesn't have a habit of giving the Holy Ghost to lost people. Take part of means that we share in. We receive the Holy Spirit. Those people that have already trusted the Lord, have the Holy Spirit, already have laid that foundation. They've been saved, but they're babes in the Lord. So you can't get them saved again. And so he says there in verse 4, they've tasted the good word of God, the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away, if they could, but most people not sure if this is talking about, you know, here's these Old Testament saints, and they came up to the gates, the door of Kadesh Barnea, and they were ready to go into the kingdom, and they rebelled. So God wouldn't let me go into the kingdom. Therefore, this is talking about those who have got to the door of salvation. They're almost ready to go in, and they didn't believe and so now it's impossible for them to be saved in the future. So they're lost. They were almost, or some people say they, they were saved, but then they fell away. And it's impossible for them to get saved again. Well, like I've said before, if a man could lose his salvation, there ought to be at least one story in the Bible of one man that lost his. And you can't find it. Or if a man could get saved and then lose his salvation and get saved again, there ought to at least be one story or an illustration somewhere in the Bible that says he did. But you can't find it because it's not there. Because once a man trusts Christ as Savior, he is saved forever. That's why it's impossible for him to get saved again. If he could fall away, he can't get saved again. Why? Because there's no more sacrifice for sin. So when you get to chapter 9 of Hebrews and chapter 10 of Hebrews, there is no more sacrifice. It means if I could lose my salvation because of some sin that I produce after I'm saved, how can I get saved if this sin took my salvation away? Christ is not going to come down and pay for this sin because he's not going to do it again. He did it once and for all. Now, either it's included in the package deal or you're forever lost. And that's why you can't get saved again. Just understand, once you trust the Lord, you're his child, and you're saved, and you're saved forever. And that's the best news in all the world. Now, look in Hebrews in chapter 12, the book of Hebrews in chapter 12. If you obey what God says, then God says that he is going to bless your life. He's going to use you. You're going to be laying up treasure in heaven. 
And that's why he makes the statement in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Because you see, when you have confidence, you do the work. You do the work, you get the rewards. Therefore, don't cast away your confidence. And so you keep your confidence in the Lord. It keeps you serving the Lord because you know that when you get to heaven, it will be worth it all. But what about those that don't do it and they sin willfully against God after they're saved? Well, you know, there's a verse here in the Hebrews that says that. Look at it very quickly in verse 26 of chapter 10. What if, okay, there's no more sacrifice for sin. Well, what if I sin on purpose? Well, I assure you, most of mine are. They talk about it, you know, well, it means you don't practice sin. I'm an expert. Most people are. But look what he says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin, but a chastening hand of God upon his children. God is going to whoop the tar out of you. And that's why he says in verse 30, For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge who? His people. So God is going to chasten his children. So you and I, as a child of God, we have been made partakers of his wonderful salvation. So great a salvation. We've been made partakers of this fellowship of all the believers. And we have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit that indwells us. We have been made partakers of a common call to honor the Lord, to serve the Lord, and to be whatever God wants us to be. So we have taken part in something that's the most wonderful thing in all the world. All right, what if you don't want to do it? Well, then God says, look out. And so chapter 11 is where God says, now before I give you chapter 12, let me tell you, there's a lot of people who went before you. A great crowd, use cloud of witnesses, the Old Testament saints, where I told them what to do, and they did it. And therefore, I want you to do the same. And so he tells us to, Set our eyes upon the Lord and to do what God says do and to consider him when we get down and discouraged. So look in verse 3. Because you're running the race. You're going from childhood to adulthood. And the key is to keep trusting the Lord. Keep believing what God says. Obey him. So he says, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners. Endured. So this word is used several times. And the word is very important because it's talking about some things that you will not enjoy. But he does tell us that we should endure. And you see that in verse 7? If ye endure. There's things that he endured for us. Now he says, I want you to endure something for me. 